and they have no Bibles, no budget, no bulletins, and yet they are so in the presence of God. And if their baby had a fever, they would pray and he would heal them. And if a marriage was breaking up, they would pray and God would put it back together. And they were seeing miracles after miracles and bearing all this fruit that I was killing myself for and never seeing. And the difference was I was pursuing everything other than the presence and they only had the presence to pursue. And I ended up envying them because I was way too distracted in America and didn't realize it. I was distracted and deceived and it was miserable. And we did that in the name of Jesus, in the name of Christian faith. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. If you value getting to the point, then you'll enjoy this conversation. More importantly, why you'll enjoy this conversation is because we get to the point with regard to the plan and purpose of our Christian faith, and that is our personal, intimate relationship with Christ. My guest, author Kevin White, and I boil it down for you as we talk about his newest book, Getting to the Point, Every Guidance or Provision You Will Ever Need Can Be Found Today in God's Presence. I want to repeat that. Every guidance, every provision you will ever need is found today in God's presence. Sound way too easy? If so, let me ask you this. How much time do you spend with God developing relationship, talking with him, and listening for his reply? One of the biggest challenges for me is to not get ahead of him. So even learning to keep his pace is a level of intimacy. Think about distractions. When your mind isn't settled, it's focused on something that has your mind hijacked. I spend time with God, but a lot of times I don't slow down enough to hear him speak. So you know what I do then, right? I fill in the blanks of what I'm sure he would have said, and then I'm off running into the world with false information. So if you're like me and you get distracted or you lose your focus, when my quiet time with the Lord is up, I realize that I didn't even give God a chance to speak, or maybe he did and I missed it. So it's not too good to be true. It takes intention and discipline to give God your time and create a space where he can speak into our situation, our heart, our mind. And the reality is it's not easy, but it's so incredibly worth it. In the times when I rest in God's presence and give him that space to bring his sovereignty into my life, it is a beautiful thing. It's full of peace and clarity and strength for the day ahead because he reveals himself in a way that affords me provision and his guidance. Listen now as Kevin shares what he's learned about getting to the point of our Christian faith and into the presence of God. Welcome, Kevin. I am looking forward to getting to the point with you. (laughs) 
Our conversation is structured around your new book, Getting to the Point. Every guidance or provision you will ever need can be found today in God's presence. And our focus is going to be how do we pursue, engage, and experience God's presence? The reason I want to have this conversation is because my podcast focuses on finding the God of the Holy Bible in the midst and reality of the pain and suffering of this life. So I want my listeners to experience the benefits of God's presence, because I have not found any other source that gives me the kind of peace and rest and healing that God's presence does. So Kevin, you make mention of the difference between information about God versus revelation from God. What is the foundational piece that will enable us to transform what we believe about God into letting him rewrite what we think we know and giving him space to show us who he really is? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I wish that it was like a pill that you could take or something that, that could make it instant and easy for everyone that would really change the whole world if we could. And it's not that it's rocket science. It's not, but, but it is something that has come just as a gradual awakening to me. Uh, I remember in 1998 on the plane ride back from India, I conscientiously for the first time in my life decided that I would passionately pursue the presence of God every day of my life. And I'm still learning what that means. It's not as if I knew immediately what that would look like because we say those cliches and they're great commitments to make, but then you've got to flesh it out. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Okay, great. I want to seek first the kingdom. What does that look like? How do I do that five minutes from now? It's taken me two decades to really come to this point of writing a book of get to the point about passionately pursuing the presence of God and just what that looks like and hopefully helping people get there further and faster than I did because it does take time for the Holy Spirit to just reveal um, that. Moses said, teach me your ways. And that wasn't a, a one-time class you could sign up for. There's not like a master's class on learning God's ways. And then you're done and you know everything that you need to know. It's like you commit to it and then you spend the rest of your life learning. And the same goes with pursuing his presence. You, it's just a commitment to learn how to pursue God's presence and to value his presence and to do that day by day. I think in your book, you opened up saying that at about 30 years of age, did you say that, that you mm -hmm. came into this revelation of making that shift? I waited a little bit longer. Why do we wait so long? I do not know because once mm. you discover it, it is such beauty. Yeah, it wasn't until my 30s. And I was saved whenever I was 10 years old, baptized 10 years old, called into the ministry whenever I was 17. Uh, I've been here in North Carolina my whole life, uh, other than going to college in South Carolina. I was born and raised in North Carolina, and I've, I've raised my family here. And we love calling North Carolina home. Good old Southern Baptist boy. Love my church, love my heritage. But for me, I really had no discipleship of passionately pursuing the presence of God. I had more of a training of having your fire insurance, knowing that you had turned so you wouldn't burn. You, know, you were going to avoid hell's fire and you would spend eternity in heaven, but what is there in between? And I found myself, along with a lot of other Christians, waiting till we get to heaven to get comfortable with God's presence. And I was valuing everything and pursuing everything as a Christian, other than the presence of God. Called into the ministry when I was 17, and I worked in full-time Christian service throughout my 20s until I was 30 years old. 
and I'm still in full-time Christian service, but there was a moment that I was fired for being a church planner. I started a church three years into it. They let me go. And I, there was no misappropriation of funds or sexual impropriety. It was that I was a deranged workaholic for God. No success was ever enough. And they literally came to a point that they didn't know what to do with me because I was working myself to a frazzle by the grace of God. They dismissed me. So I wouldn't kill myself and my marriage and my family but I was really seeking to do great things for God. I was seeking to make his name known and I was losing sleep and everything else because I really had this sense of pressure that it all depended on me. I would go to a leadership conference and I would learn this principle. If it is to be, it's up to me. So I'd stop sleeping so I could keep working harder and harder and harder to build this church bigger, bigger, bigger. And it was never enough. And then I go to India Two months after being dismissed, I'm 8,000 miles away in a thatch roof hut in India. Now the world's crisscross. Back then, there was no Indian nationals living in the USA in North Carolina that I knew of. Never met anyone from India. Never been taught Indian geography before. And now I'm in a thatch roof hut of believers worshiping Jesus, and they have no Bibles, no budget, no bulletins, and yet they are so in the presence of God. And if their baby had a fever, they would pray and he would heal them. And if a marriage was breaking up, they would pray and God would put it back together. And they were seeing miracles after miracles and bearing all this fruit that I was killing myself for and never seeing. And the difference was I was pursuing everything other than the presence, and they only had the presence to pursue. And I ended up envying them because I was way too distracted in America and didn't realize it. I was distracted and deceived, and it was miserable. And we did that in the name of Jesus, in the name of Christian faith. And I, I would never want to reproduce that into another disciple, because I had the promise of salvation, but no joy of the Lord in my life. And they had nothing, many of them, no, not a toothbrush or a pair of sandals, but they had so much joy. Never had a happy meal, but had so much joy in their life because they pursued the presence of God. And it was it was convicting. It was almost as if God sent me to his um, his intervention camp. It was like a scared straight moment for me of just this reality check of there's there's something so much more than than you're asking me for in your life. You're settling for so much less. And if you would pursue me, then all these things would become a natural byproduct than they have. And now I live to help other people get to the point. What do you think the biggest block is that keeps us from seeking the presence of God? Nothing about life allows you to slow down. And I really think that's where it is because the God's pace is completely different than our pace. Do you think it's that we don't know God's voice? We're not sure if it's him speaking or us speaking. What do you think the block is that keeps us from this sliver of gold in this reality. I definitely think the enemy is very crafty at getting us busy. For me, it was busyness. I read a book years ago, Too Busy Not to Pray, and that was really eye-opening to me as well. And the premise of that book was, if you are too busy to pray, then you're literally too busy. Now I see it, then I couldn't see it. I'm interested that we're having this conversation, hopefully on the on the other end of the pandemic, I know we're still 
in a messy world at the moment. And maybe we're always going to be here and the pandemic's really never going to go away. We just keep hoping that it will. But prior to the pandemic, I don't think people realized how busy they were. There maybe was a snow day that lasted 24 hours and that slowed us down, but then we'd go right back. When the pandemic happened, we thought we were going to go right back and it became months, then it became years. Now, research has actually shown that we are experiencing the great resignation where people are saying, I'm not going to go back because they have slowed down to a pace that they didn't realize existed prior to the pandemic. I know a lot of hell's come out of the pandemic. People have been hurting and bleeding and it's 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 been sad for a lot of people. But God has promised that that which is meant for evil, he will make for good. And I am confident good things are coming out of this pandemic that we never even knew to ask for or imagine before. And I think one of those is just an awareness of rest an awareness of the value that money can't buy, that money's not everything. And success is not necessarily measured on the wall with degrees and accomplishments in the corporate world, but it's measured in your quality of your marriage and and the quality of, of, of life together with your children and your grandchildren and your relationships and your faith in God. I've heard just a couple of phrases that really, I think, hopefully are common in the faith world. And that is people are asking what makes my heart sing and, and when will I commit to that? And I think for a person of faith, we have to come to a place of realizing it's the presence of God that makes our heart sing. And so I'm going to commit to that, which puts me in the presence of God I think prior to the pandemic, the vast majority of American Christians sensed the presence of God when they were in a physical building called a church, instead of having the reality that they are the church 24-7, and you can invoke God's presence at 11 p.m. on Wednesday as much as you can at 11 a.m. on Sunday. And, and because of the pandemic, we've been forced into an environment where we have to be in the presence of God and more aware of it. Otherwise, how are we going to survive some of the grieving and the pain and the loss that we've we've had to confront during this time? And all along, the Bible's been promising that he's an ever-present help in time of need, but we really haven't sensed the need for it. I think so maybe going back to your question, the biggest barrier is just a blindness to the need for the presence of God, the enemy really crafting us that we don't need his presence, and yet we absolutely need his presence, and we're seeing that now, and we're diving into it, and he is revealing himself as a mighty strong tower. That he is. I was thinking, talking about ways that the church has kept us from really digging into the presence of God and, and focusing more on the message of the cross, which is very important, or the, the mm -hmm. fact you're reading your Bible or you're praying or you're singing your worship songs. But have you ever heard God helps those who help themselves? Oh, yeah. I thought that was scripture for the longest time. I did <laughs> yeah. until somebody told me it wasn't. I was Nowhere like, in the Bible. Yeah. yeah, right. Nowhere in the Bible. More to your point, I don't think people realized they could slow down until they were forced mm -hmm. to slow down and found out that they could get more done in less time or different ways. And I do believe that God is going to bring something good out of this because nothing is wasted in his value mm -hmm. system. So I don't know what that looks like when he brings good or, or he turns us around, but we have to be open to where, what it, wherever he's leading and whatever he's doing. Mm -hmm. 
I heard you give a good example of an old saying, give a man a fish and you will feed him for a day and teach a man mm-hmm. to fish and he'll feed him for a lifetime. Share with my listeners how mm-hmm. you overlaid that onto Jesus, a one-time mm-hmm. impact versus a lifetime. I really tried to illustrate the value of helping someone to passionately pursue the presence of God, because I can go, I'm a missionary to India. I can go to India and talk about Jesus all day long and give them information about Jesus. Nothing shameful to do that, but it's very different than me going to India and teaching them to invoke the presence of God. And when I go in and I talk to them about Jesus and I leave, I have given them a sense of being in his presence, hopefully, and some information and hopefully even revelation of Jesus. And then whenever I leave, it's like there's a book in there. But if I go in and I I teach them to invoke the presence of God and help them to see the value and to pursue the presence of God, and they do that the day after I'm gone and the week after I'm gone and the month after I'm gone and the year after I've gone, they've had access to all of the clarity and the rest that they'll ever need. That the guidance and the provision that we need is found in the presence of God. And so let's not just tell people about Jesus, but let's help them get into the presence of God and teach them how to pursue his presence so that so that every guidance and provision they'll ever need, they can find in the presence of God. And so when you say provision, what are some tangible benefits that we reap when we engage God's presence? Peace, things that money can't buy the sense of belonging, companionship. The world is so desperate for companionship right now. And that is something that we can experience on an ongoing basis in a living relationship with God. When we wake up in the morning and acknowledge his presence and we're having our lunch and we're still acknowledging his presence and we're driving at home, driving home in the evening, acknowledging his presence and we're with our family, acknowledging his presence and we're going to bed, acknowledging his presence. There's a sense of companionship there. There's peace in the midst of the storms that happened that day. There's a sense of of security, knowing that someone higher than me is responsible for me and to provide through me for my family and on and on and on. I love that he honors us as the co-worker that we are with him and that he has answers and solutions and um, strategies in order to do things through his value system versus our value system here. He is constantly challenging me with who I believe he is versus who he really is. And I think that's been key for me is to allow him to speak into my life and rewrite my bad theology, broken theology, broken belief system that I have somehow interpreted it through the lens that I have my experiences in life. And so for me, that is a deep peace. When my world fell apart, when my husband passed, I still knew the underlying piece that I would be okay. It was the worst thing that had ever happened to me. I pray nothing ever rivals it, but I still had that underlying piece that it's going to be okay, no matter how horrible it feels right now. That has to be a slight taste of heaven. Think about people far from God. How do they get the sense that it's going to be okay? And if we're really going to appreciate those words, it's going to be okay. 
the greatest way to say thank you, God, for those words is to go share it with people far from God and just help them to see that it's going to be okay. One of the things that I really love about this understanding that the whole point of the Bible, the whole point of Jesus, the whole point of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the whole point of the acts of the early church and everything in between is the presence of God, is it really helps you and I as believers to understand the value of sharing Jesus with others, because it's not just them having a sense of fire insurance, as we were talking about earlier, but it's really giving them a resource that they desperately need for that very practical reason, so that they will have a sense of it's going to be okay when they face things like that. Hopefully everyone that calls upon the name of Jesus has experienced him as an ever-present help in time of need during this pandemic. But what about those that don't know to call upon the name of Jesus yet? Three billion people statistically worldwide have no understanding of Jesus. And Romans 10 says they will know as we go and share that with them. That should motivate us in giving to our church and everything in between, because there is a practical reason people need the Lord. It's not just so they can check the box of Christianity on on the description of their faith, but that they can really have every guidance and provision they'll ever need through a living relationship with God. Amen to that. When I was raising my boys, I have two boys. I, you know, would talk to them about God, um, have them pray, take them to church, things like that. But I knew even then I'm only pointing them to the one that I wanted them to know that when things don't go like you plan, when our expectations are not met, you get to this point in life, because I feel like all of us have it, where we cry out to God to meet us in our deep need. I just wanted them to know where to go. I didn't have any guarantee that they would choose God, but I mm-hmm. wanted them to know where they could go to find that sort of mm-hmm. um, that sort of peace, that sort of healing. Mm-hmm. And so that was really my goal with raising my children to know Love God. It. Think about Jesus's promise. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are older, they will not depart from it. And that's really the point of parenting is you can't control them. One of the things God taught me as I was writing, get to the point is the consequence of the fall is choice. They were born, created in the presence of God. And as a result of the fall, now we have to choose God's presence. Now we have to choose to worship. We have to choose to tithe. We have to choose to obey all the teachings of Jesus. It's a choice. And that's all we can really offer our children is a clear understanding of that choice to the best of our ability, help them to realize you do have a choice in trusting Jesus for salvation, trusting Jesus for helping you with Tuesday's test, trusting Jesus to help you with Friday's football game, whatever in life um, to, to call upon the name of Jesus for salvation and everything in between. And that brings me to this point, part of your book that you cover, where you say that going to church, prayer, studying the word, singing the Christian songs, that's not really, doesn't have anything to do with what you're mm-hmm. talking about on getting to the point. All that yeah. is, is to lead you into 
the presence of God. And I'll be the first one to admit that the church focuses more on salvation. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Again, I want to make that clear. That's everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But we tend to get them saved and then we drop them into this ravine somewhere between salvation and intimacy. Talk Mm -hmm. to us about why going to church, praying, studying God's word is not enough. I actually, in the book said, I don't care if you're saved. (laughs) And I put it in context, you know, obviously if I just tweeted that out, people could really misunderstand that phrase. Uh, But when you think about it, God's whole point is his presence from Genesis to Revelation. He has been pursuing intimacy with you and I, and every one of us, that's been his total pursuit has been intimacy. And, and so if all we have settled for is just walking an aisle, praying a prayer, saying, I've, I've been there, done that, I am saved, I am a Christian, then really there's not a whole lot of value in that if that's all it is. If it's for the purpose of the whole point to get to a place of intimacy, then it's of great value. And that's the point. Salvation is a means, not the end. And we have treated it as if it's the end. Just know that you've gotten saved. Your sins are forgiven. You are going to go to heaven if you're in a tragic car accident tonight. And now you're good. That's only really half true. It is true. But but in addition to that is, is this whole mystery of the abundant life that comes only through an intimate relationship with God. So it's not just the end. The relationship with God doesn't end there. It only begins there. It gives you access to the presence of God. Without the blood of Jesus over our lives, we'd have no opportunity to enter his presence with boldness. But now with the blood of Jesus over our lives, we can go boldly into the throne of God to find grace and that ever-present help in time of need. And that's That's something that is a reality for that moment from the point we are saved until we do cross over into eternity. And maybe that happens for some people within 30 earthly seconds, but a lot of it is decades. And I have lived my life for years as if as if I was saved and Jesus waved goodbye and said, I'll see you when you get to heaven. And now I'm stuck here on earth to live out a godly life the best that I can and to do as much good for God as I can with the enemy just beating me up to a pulp spiritually. And I'm just here defenseless and nothing could be further from the truth. We need to get comfortable now in the presence of God. When you think about that synopsis, most Christians are waiting until they get to heaven to be comfortable with the reality of his presence 24 seven, 365. That would be shocking, not comfortable. So let's not wait till we get to heaven to get comfortable with being intimate with God. Let's learn to have intimacy with God now. That's the whole point from, from the beginning anyway. Yeah. The sooner we get into this place of intimacy, 
the more we get to experience fulfilling that which is written about us on those pages that he wrote before the foundations of the earth about our lives. And I think that when we partner with him to discover what that is, that's the great adventure of discovering God in this process of something that he's going to equip you for through the day. And then what's more better than unbroken fellowship with God. We move from here into eternity and there's no broken relationship with him. So to me, Mm -hmm. that is, there's no, there's no verbiage. You can accurately describe what that means Mm -hmm. for us. I love that. Yeah. Good point. What does a church model need to look like in order for them to be pointing us into practicing the presence of God? Because I don't, Mm -hmm know that churches are really knocking it out of the park on that area. Mm -hmm. There's some basic essentials. I think it's, it's helping people have an understanding that salvation is only the beginning. It's not the end. And it is a great gift, but it opens up the door to so much more than just fire insurance and prayer. The whole point of prayer is not just to unload yourself and to honor God with some praises along the way, but it is truly to commune with your creator, with your heavenly father, to really understand that God does present himself in three forms, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, and to understand the value of all three of those. And to realize that the Holy spirit is the, the very presence of Jesus Christ that is being taken out of the human skin of Jesus. Jesus actually said to his followers, it is for your good that I go away, because as I go, the Father will send the promised Holy Spirit to you. And Jesus was confined to human skin. He had humbled himself, and God is everywhere present, but Jesus could only be in the front of the people that he was in front of. So he goes back into heaven, and then the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, and that same presence that stood in front of them is now inside of them. And to understand that, unfortunately, you said something that I identify with. You said the church really had not taught me much about the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we can throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And we we can get intimidated with maybe expressions of of the the Christian church that we're not comfortable with. Maybe it's charismatic, maybe it's Pentecostal, maybe practices like speaking in tongues and things like that. I wrote an entire book on the presence of God and said very little about those because we can make so many other things the main thing and really confuse people instead of helping them. There's nothing to be intimidated by in giving yourself over to the presence of God. There's nothing to be afraid of. And if if there was some manifestation of the Holy Spirit that you're not comfortable with, and you're giving the Holy Spirit permission to be who he says he is in the word, and he wants to manifest himself in a way that you're not comfortable with, he will resolve that. You don't have to be afraid of doing something like levitating out in the middle of your cul-de-sac or something that is going to really be some type of magic type show. We probably have all made fun of 
of believers that we didn't identify with. There's been movements where people have laughed hilariously. And, and is laughter a gift from God? Absolutely. Is that a calling that we laugh 24-7, 365, even while the preacher's trying to preach? I'm not comfortable with ongoing laughter like that in a way that would be disruptive and stuff like that. I'm only using that as an example. I'm not trying to pick on anyone who feels like they have a spiritual gift of, of laughter or whatever. My point is that you don't have to be worried about some manifestation that you're not comfortable with, I promise you, if you are in prayer and you're in the word and you're in the presence of God and he wants you to pray something that doesn't make sense in English and you have to just stop using English and start using what seems to be a muttering or something, you're going to be at peace with that. It's not going to be like, OMG, what is happening? I can't believe God's doing this to me. Uh, I, I hate this or anything like that. He's not going to push you out into traffic, so to speak. It's going to be the most peaceful, godly experience you uh, perhaps uh, of being aware of his presence than you've ever had in your life. And you're not going to question it. And it's not going to be the big deal. The big deal is going to be the presence of God. Sometimes we make all of these um, external expressions more of the big deal. Um, unfortunately, that is more of a distraction than it is an invitation to people. And, and so I just really try to invite people into the presence of God. He will clean the fish. He will take care of, uh, of someone's inhibitions or, or fears or discomforts or whatever. That's not my job to, to try to make people comfortable. If anything, I just want to reassure them that, that he is a God of order. He is never going to violate his word ever. And you don't have to be afraid. I talked about it in my first book, Audacious Generosity. The son of man has set us free um, so that we can set him free. And one of the greatest expressions of worship is, is literally coming to that place in your walk with the Lord that you're willing to just set the Holy Spirit free, set Jesus free, set the father free, set God free, whatever you want to show me whatever you want to say to me, whatever you want to do in my life, I trust you. I give you full freedom to have your way. If there's something I'm not seeing in your word, you want to show me, I give you full freedom. If there's something I'm not doing that you're really knowing will be a blessing in my life, I give you full freedom to bring that up. Heavenly Father, I want you to have freedom. And it's amazing what happens when we get to that point that we're willing to worship and thank him for the freedom that he's given us by returning that same freedom to him and just saying, have, have your own way, not just singing it, but really meaning it. In order to arrive at that particular mindset or that particular heart posture, do you think it has to do with maturing in Christ, experiencing Christ, uh, just a spontaneous submission to Christ? How do we get to this place of saying, God, You'll get me through whatever this life brings to me. You'll get me through. I trust you. I think it's all of the above. And I think sometimes we as a church, we try to cookie cut our experience and, and get other people to mold into that. I do think that there's some, there's some principles that will help um, anyone 
to get to a place of giving God freedom in their life. One is Moses said, Lord, teach me your ways. I think if we start praying that great things are going to happen and it's going to come with some level of conflict of, well, this is what I thought God was wanting me to know about him. And now he's showing me something else. But we pray, teach me your ways, and now he's doing that. Another one is just agreeing that his ways are so much higher than our ways. We probably have somewhere in our home or um, a bookmarker, we've seen lean not into your own understandings and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That's more than a Bible verse. It's more than a bookmarker. It's more than a plaque on a wall. It should be the posture of our heart. If we start doing that day in and day out, it's not as if we're going to sense what some people might describe as being slain in the spirit. And, you know, all of a sudden this uncontrollable power is going to come upon us and we're going to do things that we couldn't imagine ever doing or anything like that. Again, I'm trying to break down people's fears of, of giving God permission in their life. But very gradually, God's going to start pointing out things in the word that we haven't seen earlier. He's going to begin whispering truths to us that we used to not even care to understand. And it could be as simple as I have chosen you. Maybe we're, we're really trying to work out our understanding of God's will about something. Maybe it's about taking another job or maybe it's something related to our children buying a house or something. I mean, and we're really seeking, 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 trying to choose God or something. And all he wants to talk to us about is you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And in that, he's just saying, I I want you to know how much I love you. You're pursuing me right now. And I just want you to see how much I've been pursuing you. And it could just be that kind of revelation. And yet we feared that because we were told that if we really let the Holy Spirit come upon us, that we would be slain out in the spirit or something. There's nothing wrong with that. If he does that, by all means, rest and and enjoy that. But, But that's not the only manifestation of the spirit. It could be just that still small voice of him affirming us like nothing else in our world has ever affirmed us before. And it's biblical and we've not really heard it to that degree. And it heals something that happened to us 25 years ago that we didn't even realize that we still needed healing from. And yet that's exactly what he knows we need today. It's funny that the, I say funny, I don't know that funny is the right word, but the intimacy with which he knows us and he gives healing, like you said, in areas you didn't even know you were still hanging on to, but yet it, it was affecting decisions or identity issues today. So when we talk about practicing the presence of God, what exactly does that mean? I would say as soon as you wake up in the morning, one of the first thoughts should be Holy Spirit or Father God, uh, Jesus, good morning. What do you have for me today? How can I love you today? How can I serve you today? Make me more aware of your presence today. And there's not right or wrong words. I, I really don't want to script it for people. That's not the point. It's a, it's just as soon as you're, you're aware that you're awake and it's a new day, immediately acknowledge his presence and then just continue that. I would try to build margin into your morning that you can follow that 
with some time in the word. Some people um, might think, well, I don't have 30 minutes. I don't have an hour. I promise you, you don't have to have half an hour, even 15 minutes every single morning in order to adequately lean not into your own understandings and all of your way acknowledge him and he will direct your path. It could be 30 seconds, but you can continue to do that on your drive where wherever your morning might take you. I, I did have a discipline to begin reading the 23rd Psalm every single day. And I continue to do it. I did it this morning. And there are powerful statements of intimacy. If you only go with verse one for a month and just look at it, you, you'll never lose sight of gaining more from it. And then verse two, but just, just make those declarations. Like imagine starting your morning, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Like starting your day with that declaration, is that true? Am I conflicted about that? And yeah, I might know that there's an AC that has to be repaired and we don't have the money for it right now, but really today I have all that I need, even if that's a cool breeze that comes through during that day. There's lots of examples. He lets me rest in green meadows and on and on and on. It's just statement of intimacy after statement of intimacy that has really ministered to me, but that's, that's not the only passage. I look at other passages throughout the day and I don't have a habit of reading for 45 minutes straight. And I don't have a habit of praying for 45 minutes straight. I do have quiet times and I have times of prayer and, and I like the the thought of pockets, especially in 2022, where I may not be able to to have an entire hour, but there are pockets throughout my day where I am just there waiting on a light to change and I can become mindful of the presence of God or having, having time with my family. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit brings something to mind. And I put a note in my phone about that. There's a lot of ways that we can begin to get sensitized to um, to God's desire to have intimacy with us and begin to surrender our time over to that, our thoughts over to that. When it comes to hearing God's voice, for me, it always brings peace. Mm-hmm. It is a fatherly, kind, gentle voice. Again, I don't hear audible words. What are some other ways that we can know that God is speaking to us? Every time you're in the word, God's speaking to you. And one of the whole points of being bored about being in the word is that you're not really seeing it as a conversation between you and your heavenly father, between you and your daddy, between you and your creator. And so you can know that you know that you know that God's speaking to you as you're in the word. Now that should excite you to be in the word even more. Um, it did me and it, it will you, the more you, you really envelop that thought and develop that conviction that God's speaking through, through the word. I went into a habit one time of if, if a scripture came to mind, I wrote it down. If if someone pointed out a scripture, I wrote it down and you'd be amazed if you're conscientious of it, of the word of God, you'll, you'll see it on Facebook. If you happen to be scrolling Facebook, you, somebody will text you a scripture. You'll see it in an email. You'll see it on TV. You'll see it on a bumper sticker. 
at Walmart. It's everywhere if you're if you're willing to acknowledge in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. If you'll look for the word, he will bring it to you. He will bring it to mind. Never see the word as coincidental. If you're watching football and they are holding up John 316 sign that happens very frequently, trust that your heavenly father has put that in your eyes for a reason and be conscientious of John 3:16. And even if it's for 10 seconds, bring it up on your phone, look at it or make a note to look at it later. And you'll be amazed at how you'll begin hearing God speak. The Bible teaches us that God speaks through the Bible, through prayer. So prayer should be two times as much listening as it is speaking. We're giving two ears and one mouth. And sometimes we define prayer by us talking to God, and it needs to be um, us talking to God. We've been invited to do that and listening. Listening prayer is very important. But other believers, this podcast can be God speaking to you and through circumstances. God speaks through those four ways to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. What do we do when God is silent? Because I know sometimes he's silent. We can go to the word and we can know that that is true, whether we sense him speaking to us through that word or not. I understand in my own experience that there are times that I might be asking God a question and I don't get a response. And so I would say God's silent at that moment. Really, he's never silent in that we do have access to his word, even though I might not have the answer that I'm looking for. Therefore, I'm saying that God is silent. I can be assured that there's still a value to stand on his word, to stand on his promises. I have prayed for very specific things and not since God speak. But I have sensed when you're open to letting God say whatever he wants to say, because sometimes we do, we do want to control the conversation and we're really hoping God will give us an answer in a particular area of need in our life. But if we'll give him freedom, you know, Jesus did teach us to pray, not my will, but yours be done in that it could be the practice of us realizing this is what I'm praying about, but what do you want to talk to me about letting him say whatever he wants to. The other thing is to, again, value value intimacy. Could you imagine if the requirement for intimacy between a husband and a wife or a parent and a child is for them to be talking 24-7, 365, and someone has to be talking constantly in order for there to be intimacy? No. Sometimes the most intimate moments have no audible sound at all. And to realize that that can be true in our relationship with God. And and so shift the value from hearing God at that moment. It should be a value to hear him. But at that moment, shift it from hearing God to just simply being in his presence. Picture yourself as Mary just sitting at his feet and just worshiping even with her tears. Being present in the presence of God. Are you kidding me? I mean, who are we that we can, we can be called the children of God and to just sit at his feet like that. Amen. I like the two points that you make there that when he is silent with us, it gives you the opportunity to press in a little bit more to say, 
what do you want to say in this situation? What is it that you want me to know about you now in this moment? So that's good. And then you said sitting in his presence, is there nowhere better that rest, you get rest from sitting in his presence, you get peace from sitting in his presence, just Mm -hmm. beauty, restoration Mm -hmm. for the next breath, for the next day, for the next meeting you have. Mm -hmm. So there's extreme value in his silence. I like that. Thank you. Is there a way that we can tell if we're getting to the point? How do we dance around with the Lord and, and he's waiting for us to get to the point? What does it look like for us to get to the point with God? We can know if we are pursuing his presence in our lives. Am I pursuing more promotion at work? Uh, Am I pursuing more obedience with my children? There's a lot of good things to pursue, or are we pursuing his presence? Is that priority one in our life? We can know that. If we're deceived and confused about it, there are other telltale signs to being in his presence. Clarity is a sign. So if you're having clarity about how to respond to conflict in your family, clarity about how to deal with a financial need in your life, clarity over anything, clarity comes from God. And it's a result of being in his presence. We should measure our relationship with God through clarity. Rest is another one. We can measure our intimacy with the Lord through the characteristic of rest or the lack thereof. I'm a living example of someone who has gone from being a deranged workaholic for God in the name of of Jesus to going to a place of rest and realizing the whole message of Jesus when he said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Fruit is another evidence of being in the presence of God It's a natural byproduct of being in his presence. And so if there's, if there's the fruitfulness that only comes from God in our lives, all of the fruits of the Holy spirit, if you're seeing them manifest in your life, it's coming as a result of you abiding on the vine, you being in the presence of God. If you see God using you, it can be in a small group. It can be in a Sunday school class. It can be in a conversation with one of your children, there's a coworker. There's a lot of ways that you can, you can just acknowledge, wow, God's using me and giving me the words to say and helping me to be a comforting friend. That's fruit. Obviously evangelism can be an obvious fruit and being a witness for Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so if you are feeling compassion for people far from God, and you're willing to pray for people to know Christ and anything with missions and evangelism and the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's evidence of of being in the presence of God. Compassion is evidence. Jesus looked at people far from God over the city, and he wept with them. So if you're having compassion for people to know Christ, it's an evidence of you having been with Christ and being in his presence and his presence being in you. Any type of hunger and thirst for more of God is an expression, an evidence of having been in his presence. When our deep need cries out for his deep filling, 
I think mm-hmm. that's a beautiful place to be. Yeah. A minute ago, you were talking about Psalm 23. I use that quite often in order to reorient myself, ground myself again, because it tells me how full I really am with mm-hmm. God. It reminds me of all that he does for me, will do for me. Mm-hmm. And it helps me to show up in the different roles and the areas of responsibility in my life in a position that I'm full. I, d- I don't show up needing anything from anybody. I don't mm-hmm. show up looking for somebody to provide something for me. I show up in a condition mm-hmm. of already being filled. And mm-hmm. what a place right. of contentment that has been for me mm-hmm. is where God's going to work. If he's going to work through me, I'm sitting in a position where I'm like, okay, Lord, is there anything you want to do? Let's go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's peace. Love that. Yeah. Yes. Contentment, peace, rest. It's really nice. Is there anything that I have not asked you about that you feel the listener needs to know before we part ways here? Hmm. No, I mean, you've been so good. I really appreciate you reading the book. And so many of your questions have come right out of the content of the book. I can tell that you get the point and you are getting to the point and you're really helping others get to the point. I would applaud you for that. And everyone in the audience to realize that there is a mission that God has given us to help others get to the point. We can't lead them further than we are ourselves. Just that we would wake up every day determined to get to the point and learn more and more and more what we can and not just settle for information that other people share with us, but to really let our Heavenly Father download Uh, That's the difference between information and revelation. We talked about that early on. I really want revelation more than I want information. Information is good to report about today, but revelation can actually contain truth about the future. And that will only come from God. We get into trouble. And if we've learned anything from the pandemic, it is that we get into lots of anxiety and depression and trouble if we start taking information and believing it as if it's revelation. And we start taking today's information and using it as a forecast for the future. Only God can tell us the future. And he is so willing to tell us the future if we will, if we will be in his presence and allow him to do that. How good is that? Yeah. Amen. How good is that? Something else you said, and we'll close with this. You said God's presence is the distinguishing factor. Mm. How many times have we begged God for what job we need, who we're supposed to marry, you know, and he is trying to answer, but we take his no, especially in the instances when he says, no, we take his no, and we work to make it a yes. Mm -hmm. When in fact, he's already spoken and we miss it. And that's so frustrating, but God's presence is the distinguishing factor. Share your thoughts on that as we slide out of here. Yeah. Well, I really think the season that we call teenage years has been given to us as humans to really see God's perspective sometimes, because so often every one of us treat God like a teenager treats their parents. Uh, I did it to my parents. You did it to yours, whether we are willing to admit it or not. Our, our teenagers have done it to us where for that season and by the grace of God, it is really only a season. Our parent is perceived to be more of an ATM than as a BFF. There's nothing 
wrong with that necessarily if if we enclose it in into a season. Um, but so often we approach God as if he is that great ATM in heaven to meet all of our needs. And there's truth to that. He is so much more than a mechanical device that just spits out guidance and provisions. He is a heavenly father. He's a good shepherd. He's, he's a wonderful counselor. He's the prince of peace, father, son, Holy Spirit. If you look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3, look at it in the context of companionship. Creation was ordered and provided for companionship. You see the desire of God for companionship in all of our lives. And he created Adam and Eve for companionship and companionship within them for one another as male and female. But God desires to be way more than just our supreme ATM in life. He really wants you and I to know him intimately and and to allow him to know us intimately. He does, whether we want that to happen or not, but to allow that to happen and to give him freedom for that to happen and to really value the whole point of, of intimacy. His presence is the distinguishing factor. It's not the guidance and the provision. It is his presence. Moses said when, when he was saying, teach me your ways, he said, I will not go and lead these people unless your presence goes with us. And Moses is, is really where we, we start seeing that, that principle of the presence of God being the distinguishing factor. And he said, it is your presence that will distinguish your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. That is true from Deuteronomy all the way through 2022 and beyond, that the presence of God has been provided by Almighty God to be the distinguishing factor. It's not the license of salvation, the fire insurance from the heat of hell, but it is the presence of God that is the distinguishing factor. So let's pursue that and let's agree with Almighty God to receive that and to give that. When you're talking about creation and companionship, it reminds me that God created man and woman on the sixth day and then seventh day was rest. He called us into rest with him Mm -hmm. and to enjoy him in the garden of Eden. And I still believe that walking in the intimacy of Christ, that is our Eden here on this Mm -hmm. side of glory. Kevin White, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today. And your book, Getting to the Point, Every Guidance or Provision You Will Ever Need Can Be Found Today in God's Presence. Thank you again, Kevin. You take care. God bless. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, A Life of Thrive.com. 
I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.